cheers to another episode of the Wine Notes Podcast. I'm your guide, AJ Weinzettel, on this journey of stories showcasing the people behind the wonderful world of wine, where we dive into conversations ranging from terroir, viticulture, to favorite music, superpowers, and more. Please enjoy this episode of the Wine Notes Podcast. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to Obang, a single vineyard estate of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay located in the Eola Amity Hills for sponsoring the podcast. We will spend the next six weeks learning about Obang, where everything has a meaning and has been meticulously thought out. First, let's start with some definitions. Obang's vineyard, called Anahata, comes from the Sanskrit word for the heart chakra. The Anahata vineyard is located at, at the joy, where each block of the vineyard has a different translation for the word joy. At the Joy is located in the Eola Amity Hills, and when you look at a bottle of Obane wine, there are two waves. One is green, representing the Eola Amity Hills, and the other is a blue wave, representing the Van Duzer Corridor winds. The final tidbit for today is Obane is French for windfall. And wouldn't you know it, the plan in 2024 is to have more Obane wine coming from a second estate vineyard called Windfall. You can purchase your bottles of Obane today by visiting their website at obanewine.com and be sure to use promo code WINENOTES for 20% off. That is A-U-B-A-I-N-E-W-I-N-E.com and promo code W-E-I-N-N-O-T-E-S for 20% off until August 5th. Jackson, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, you bet. Well, happy to be here and glad the uh, sun decided to visit us here in Oregon today. And um, yeah, ready to talk some Oregon viticulture and wine. Yeah, no, it'll be great. You've been uh, you've been busy here lately. I think earlier this week you were doing some disgorging. Yep, um, we've had um, a few. Uh, you know, anytime we, we've just released the twenty ones, which is an awesome feeling coming off of. Uh, what little wine we produce from 2020 so we've been busy showing those wines it kind of feels like um you know revisiting old friends and and seeing people and kind of having wine again to share with people it feels really natural it feels really good and then combined with the um you know the duties of making the wine <laughs> um uh yes we just bottled our rosé and um no we did our tirage bottling for the 22s just went into tirage bottling and so most of those will be laid down for anywhere from two to five years um and uh so yeah it's been a busy spring of releasing wines making wines and now you add in the layer of um, of the farming season fastly approaching and which is my personal favorite especially in the early season farming is kind of when you set everything up so um that is uh kind of moves up the priority list to the utmost of importance for us and what we do so yeah we're excited yeah no it's it, i'm i'm excited as well i remember being up here last year it was uh, i was around this time so and uh you know the frost had already kind of kicked in and oh that was heart-wrenching yeah, and you know, obviously, some growers are impacted more than others in the valley. In hindsight, I think there was, um, if you had told many growers that they would end up where they did um, at the moment of that frost, I think many of them uh, would uh, would have seen a you would have seen a sigh of sigh of relief in many of them. Right, um, a lot of farmers, while some were less fortunate, I can't speak for all, but while some were less fortunate, many, um, the damage wasn't quite to the extent which um, we thought for some spots. So I feel like all in all, um, I'm speaking kind of from a broad perspective, given that we've sourced from a few different vineyards, happy with um, 
the results by and large, uh, even if they were uh, some reduced crop yields, um, I think the quality was excellent and really excited about that vintage. Yeah, no, I, I, I've heard a lot of good things and I'm, I'm excited yeah. my, my, myself to when it actually gets released. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to ask the question though. I mean, with that frost and, you know, coming in, what were the conversations like with your dad? about all of that um, whole situation. You know, he has the luxury of retirement. Um, <laughs> and so when you don't have any skin in the game um, and, and that's been all passed down to the next generation, which is us, um, uh, we wear it more. And so we were more concerned with that. I was discussing it maybe a little bit more so with um, my peers who are in it on a day-to-day -day basis. My father's earned his retirement. And uh, I think I mentioned something about the frost. And he was like, what? When? R really? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, uh, uh, you know, he has all the historical databases and right. um, and weather data. And once we got talking about it, I think his comment was, I've not seen anything like this in my, entire, in my entirety of, I don't know what it was, 38 or 40 years of viticulture and so um um uh, you know that that speaks to itself right. um and but the comments um around the valley was just um there was there was a lot of hand wringing a lot of uh we'll we'll wait and see and that's why i made the comment earlier that um given the results i think i had friends here in the dundee hills who thought they were gonna end up with nothing they ended up with with um with something to work with come by season season's end and i think um they they took that and said you know this is this is also coming off the heels of 2020 um uh the the results of who were you know the results of the frost i don't think were um as damaging as some expected now again it, it's hard to talk in broad terms because everything was really site specific we at our state were relatively unimpacted but we had some uh sites just down the hill that we worked with latchkey that as the chardonnay was really devastated um but on average um it felt like there was a lot of it was emotional you know oh, yeah, this, yeah. this when you when you are a farmer and and viticulture and 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 have a hand in the winemaking or and and you see the process through you wear it and and you breathe it and you live it and um it's hard not to get emotional about it especially coming off 2020 i saw a lot of faces and a lot of emotions that were kind of like now this you know exactly. and um but uh it's a reminder of how resilient these vines are and and we we live in a place um where the climate while it can be challenging can also be forgiving at times and these vines are resilient and um what doesn't break us will make us stronger viticulturally winemaking as an industry-wide and i think we learned a lot of things um for how to handle and execute in the presence of frost um and especially a frost of that severity and um i think we learned a few things from a viticulture standpoint as to how to usher those vines that were of most impact or most impacted through the remainder of the growing season right um for uh for health and vitality so you know, again, yeah, take in stride and learn from it a little bit. But um, I think uh, here we are. Um, we made some fantastic wines off of 22 and we're looking at 23 and hoping for the best. Yeah, most definitely. It's, you know, and speaking of resiliency and whatnot, I, 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 I was surprised when I found out that, you know, your birthday's on Christmas Day. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, 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 what was that like growing up? I mean, how did you, did you celebrate birthday and Christmas in the same day? I mean, what was, what was that um, like? You know, um, I was an only child and, uh, I think my folks did their best to, um, and, and 
And I, I was an only child grown up on the, the, this property, which is, you know, it was, it's quiet then. It was really quiet. Or it was, it was, it's quiet now. And it was really quiet then. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, he, what was that like? I, you know, it, it's hard to speak when you don't know anything different, I should say. Um, that's true. Uh, it was normal, um, for me, it was, and maybe efficient, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm not one that likes, um, a lot of attention. And, and so as a kid, I was always a little bit, um, uncomfortable given, uh, uh, birthdays and, um, that type of thing. So it actually fit me and my personality to, uh, roll with it when you're overshadowed by this, uh, these other figures that are associated with Christmas, <laughs> you can kind of slide under the radar. That's um, and so, uh, yeah, you know, I think, I think there's, data points for anyone coming of age and now raising kids myself, um, there's certain points which you, you learn humility and, of course. um, and it was, a, it's a festive time of year, you know, for when I was really young, I remember driving through just, you know, the little neighborhoods of Dundee and thinking the lights were for my birthday. <laughs> then someone had to tell me that as a Jesus guy kind of stole my thunder. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Darn it. Um, <laughs> But no, it's it's it was a great lesson in humility, and um, and although it was it's it's a joy to really have your holiday during a really festive time. Right. Um, it also is a reminder as to um, who you are in the grand scheme of things, and and um, and it sets a precedent really going forward. So I don't know, I wouldn't have it any other way. So, yeah. No, that's that's great. I I can appreciate that. Yeah. It's. it's I remember when I came up here last year, uh, um, that was the first time I had met you and, you know, you, we were talking and I just got this whole sense of true authenticity, you know, and just a down home spirit. Uh, you know, I know, um, your dad and Ken Wright came up here from Kentucky. Oh, mm -hmm. uh, saw Ken last night. Yeah. And. You know, I, I'm, I have so many kind of like tangents that I could go on, yeah. but so do you have family in, in Kentucky? I do. Like, yeah. and is that kind of like where that humbleness kind of comes from? You know, it's, I don't know that I have the level of self-awareness to, <laughs> to, to answer that. Um, but you know, my exposure to Kentucky was really as a kid going back, I didn't have, um, I had some summers there and growing up and I was the youngest of many cousins and, um, went back and enjoyed it. Um, but I don't know that that was really a shaping influence for me personally. It was certainly for my folks, um, right. and, a shaping influence, but, um, uh, no, I, uh, from my own perspective, I would say that when you're surrounded by as many people who have accomplished as many things as they have in this industry, and even though, you know, Oregon wine is just a drop in the pan for global wine production, but right. I still think there's a very high level of intellect that is come into this valley and proceeded to implement and execute brilliance on a very high level. And so when you're surrounded with that level of intellect, ambition, greatness, um, you know, uh, it kind of puts you in your saddle, so to speak. And, and, right. um, I, that, you know, that's my answer for just my attitude and approach is that, um, 
uh, you know, the seasons can humble you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Most <laughs> as we were just talking about, the seasons can humble you. Right. Uh, the process can humble you. Um, a lot of things can. And so, uh, you know, I've just seen through my, my childhood, adolescence to adulthood, um, um, the different ways of which people have navigated this industry. And um, I've always appreciated those that understood their role in it and understood um, their importance and significance, whether that be to whatever degree that may be. And so, um, yeah, I think that's my best answer to your, your that, comment. No, no, and, and that's yeah. fine. I mean, there is, I mean, um, you grew up, you know, in a very, uh, around a lot of, I'll call them legends yeah. in the Oregon wine industry. Yeah, yeah. giants, uh, giants. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I'll, I'll go on to that in just a minute. But uh, so I grew up in Tennessee. Okay. And every time I go back to visit, I'm like, I need some fried chicken. <laughs> so I, I mean, it's the catfish boil. It, okay. Yeah, it's it's the catfish, but okay. go on. Sorry. No, I, I was just curious, like, what yeah. did you look forward to? And what is your stance on uh, sweet tea? Oh, I can go without sweet tea. But, um, <laughs> um, you know, when I go back, um, yes, fried chicken, absolutely. But um, I had family that was, uh, you know, into the catfishing realm. And even though I don't know that I can say I enjoyed it when anything's fried properly. <laughs> and so probably nostalgia more than any level of, of excellence for, right, for right. catfish. Um, of course. And, uh, um, yeah, there, there's just a bit more tradition. Um, surrounding food a little bit and and holidays but um i'm trying to think what else back east yeah catfish yeah no fried chicken yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no yeah. cornbread cornbread there you go for whatever reason cornbread um yeah. thick cornbread during the holidays yep um you know trying to get back to the the legends and the giants a little yep. bit uh when i was here last year you know you told me about you know the school bus would drop you off in front of argyle and yeah you know i you had a choice between two things one was argyle and one was something else and i don't remember what that other one was yeah my father kind of floated around and um depending on the day of the week um i would you know um uh, Druin was the other winery uh through the 90s um i grew up with bill hatcher's kids um and uh, we would make ruckus in the cellar of Druin so come time to time. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, you know, that, that was much more of a, of a weekend stop, but, um, certain days a week when you're an only child and your parents work, you're, you're, you go to work a lot <laughs> and, <laughs> I, I um, yes. and there were certain things at, a. Uh, that I always knew were off limits, but um, I pushed the limits a little bit and uh, but got really familiar with the seller. And, and most times I think I um, the rules were kind of, you know, don't break anything, don't hurt yourself and stay out of the way. <laughs> right, right. Um, and most time I would I was I was probably the worst at staying out of the way. And so they usually put me to work, uh, whether it be the bottling line or cleaning or something. Um, but um yeah, both those cellars were foundational to me in my childhood. Um, the cellar at Druin and uh, the cellar at Argyle, both those kind of 
shape me, I probably was more hands-on in the Argyle cellar back when it was in Dundee, um, before it's evolved um, to to uh, what it was. It was much people, I think, forget <laughs> the level of um, quaintness that Argyle was um, back through um, the, the 90s. But uh, um, yeah, those both those, you know, I was influenced. The Druin family would frequently visit, and because my father worked with them, there was a lot of um, in-depth conversations whether it be after hours after you know um in the late days or or evenings or surrounded they have a house over there on the property that would do dinners or here in this house um i remember many of the meals and um the wine I, I don't know remember what wines i'm sure they were great but um uh yeah you know it was a playground for a kid and right. whether you realize it or not osmosis takes place and um and there's no resisting it <laughs> it just does right, right yeah and when right. you can um you know i i could uh i woke up at 16 and knew the difference of a mono pump and a flexi impeller pump and how many 16 year olds understand the usage for both and right. the do's and do's nots of both and it was just something that i kind of had inherently absorbed um and the ratios of 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 citric and sulfur for um for barrel solution you know there's just <laughs> things that i um absorbed and knew because of my situation and so um evolving to to my next phase of life there was you know there's a lot of things people can do in this world and um but i had to kind of fall in love with it through my own avenues and uh, i eventually did so yeah yeah and oh uh, i think you know, I, I'm not going to mention any names, but, you know, not getting when you're getting in the way or, you know, got in trouble, had some <laughs> some bottles thrown at you or whatnot. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. No. Uh, you know, you're you're eight, nine years old, a rascal in a winery, which, you know, probably is, is not a place for an eight or nine year old to to make his playground. But it was. Um, and yeah, I, I remember silicone bungs were uh, became a dangerous commodity. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I knew where the clean basket was, I knew where the dirty basket was. And right. um, silicone bungs became uh, a bit of a game and as well as uh, saran wrap. Not, it's not saran wrap using kitchen, it's it's um, wrap that they wrap pallets with and many uh, pranks were done with bungs and silicone wrap um and dry ice <laughs> <laughs> forklifts uh, lifting desks up on pallets um hiding people's desks yeah um and so I'm, I'm curious can you say whose desk you might have hidden uh, <laughs> if, if, if there's, not... a there's a gentleman named jason um who worked in the cellar of argyle for a while and he had a cellar back there we lifted his desk up and hid it up in the uh he came into work one day and his desk was up high <laughs> <laughs> with the chair uh, sitting on about, you know, four pallets high. Um, and so it's wrapped in saran wrap. Um, and uh, yeah, just little things like that. Things that, you know, when you're trying to go to work and be productive, you don't need a little <laughs> shit 12-year-old, whatever it was, um, right. doing the things I was doing. But um <laughs> Um, it is, it takes a village. Ultimately it takes a village right, and, right, right. um, for, as, uh, we were talking earlier, um, about humility <laughs> and all those things. And so, um, I, looking back on it now, having a four-year-old, two-year-old myself, I realize it takes a village and sometimes you learn the social cues and, and you learn the do's and don'ts, not always from mom and dad. It takes a village to guide you sometimes with a more firm hand than others as to what's appropriate and what's not. And, right. Um, 
uh, Ron Souls was a second father to me and um, <laughs> slapped me around pretty good when I was doing dumb shit. Um, but um, uh, it was, you know, in hindsight, I'm thankful of the fact that really I had a lot of eyes on me and right. um, and there was never anything I wasn't going to go too astray. There was a lot of eyes on me. And even to this day, I kind of feel like I represent a little bit of the village which I came from, which was the wine industry from the 90s. And um, and so I wear that badge with some honor. Yeah, no, that's that, that's awesome. And you said you were saying that you had to kind of fall in love with wine, you know, on your own path. And football was was a big thing, you know. So you were number thirty seven at Cal Poly, and you were number forty at Linfield. Yeah, I'm curious. Did you get to? I, so I know nothing about sports. Did yeah, you? Uh, that's cool. Did you get to pick those numbers or those uh, no, chosen no. for you? No, when you're going to collegiate ranks, they just hand you one, um, okay. unless you're real special. And I was not. Um, uh, but uh, um, no, I did not get to pick those numbers. And um, uh, yeah, but formidable. No. Yeah. Okay. Do those numbers mean anything to you nothing, today? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Other than forty grams is is the amount of uh, sulfur we put in our drive. But no, I, I have zero okay. zero significance. All right. Well, yeah, that, yeah. I was just Good curious. Good homework, though. Good yeah. homework, though. But no, no significance. Uh, I, I wish I could make something sexy up, but no, I, no significance. Just what was handed me when I walked in the locker room as a as a teenager for a collegiate program, and uh, so you wear it. Okay. That, yeah. That's that's fair. Uh, and you, you know, during that time, you convinced one of your professors to, um, you know, experiment in his own moonshine barn. <laughs> so a, a couple questions. One, uh, a, a moonshine bar, just like barn, like, yeah. holy cow. I, I'll give a little more context. Um, okay. Those in the industry will know Scott Robbins. Uh, he's a horticulture professor at, um, or farm manager at Oregon State University. Scott, if you're listening, if I got your title wrong, I apologize. Um, and down on the river, he and his friends, uh, they call themselves Chateau Bozo. Um, it, it's his, uh, and, and um, you know, they are uh, a bunch of fine gentlemen that uh, enjoy the art of fermentation and distillation. And so, it was they did quite a few spirits, but they also did um, did quite a bit of, uh, of wine. And at the time, I was um, um, I, I was kind of I was flirting between um, well, not flirting. I, I was shifting between working harvests at Argyle and then going back to school. And then I would come come back and I would work a little bit um, to earn, earn some money and then go back to school. And, and I was becoming less automated and more thoughtful about why what processes we were doing in the cellar and and when and right. um and so it was about the time i started to experiment on my own um with with um with pino and so i was looking just for a space that wasn't far from school to do my own thing and um that was that was the place chateau bozo scott robbins was really kind to host me there um and made a little bit of wine um and many actually many students not many um a, f a surprising amount of students that run through i wasn't in the uh viticulture or enology school at, at oregon state but um it's a it's a it's a common data point for a lot of people in, that are going um, to Oregon State and have interest in the Oregon wine community. Scott, in the Oregon wine community, Scott Robbins has been in the area for a very long time, a very gentle, kind soul that, um, uh, you know, has a very cooperative nature about him and hosts uh, folks who want to do experiments. And right. I was lucky enough, I said, hey, Scott, I, I think I can get a barrel, too, of, of Holstein. Um, 
or a state vineyard and um you know would you make it with me if we if we did it if i could use your spot right so, yeah absolutely so um off we were um and so yeah kind of through the process of um finding my own uh curiosity in the process and um was thankful to gone down that path and and see kind of the you know at its very fundamental level when you strip it all down uh, right. what 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 it is that is occurring what it is we are doing of really ushering grapes into their next stage of life and um, it was a great atmosphere with no pressure and um, no consequences to uh, understand my process and and begin my process of trying to execute what my vision was. And um, it, it was a great, you know, it was formidable and 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 gentle. So, yeah, no, that that's cool. So after you did that experimentation, is that when you kind of fell in love with the making of the wine or yeah, I, I would I would um I did a stint in brewery for a bit um and I, I did a stint and um and you know my my hesitation with um the wine industry was sometimes the pretension that followed and um and so for me I was I was really curious in the fermentation sciences and so I was kind of dabbling between the two um but I really found that um there was just a more wild nature to the vinification of of wine and and um it was partly through that process but also through some, some of my um, friends in australia that um pushed me to come down and work for them in yarrow valley and um they kind of infused a little bit of a they infused their charisma around the process and um and that is you know i, I was kind of i was coming out of college and i had an option you can go work a desk job i thought i was going to do some land conservation work and uh which sounded fun but it, it was going to be a grind to get, get to a spot you want in that route right, right? Right, right and or i could go travel eat great food and make wine uh with people who i loved and and uh, had fun with and um, my then uh, partner now wife ayla was along for the ride and so it's kind of felt like you can always come back to this desk thing Jackson so um, get out and use you know use the industry that's raised you to this point use it as a avenue to see the world a little bit and um, so spend some time in Australia and and I think the level of, of um, the charisma uh, you know for any of those who have Aussie friends they just have a level of charisma around their their um, process and a level of um comedy too that is uh infectious and <laughs> and so um uh i think it was the it was there that i i understood i i, I kind of started to fall in love with it a little bit more beyond the experimentation but also saw um uh individuals doing their own brands making their own wines and and kind of approaching it with a level of intensity and seriousness uh but not taking themselves too serious, you know, and, and right. it's a really hard balance. But um, they were professionals; they were on point. Um, they were making fantastic product, and I was in a cellar where there was custom crush. There was other people making their wine as well as a broader brand making theirs at Earring Station, and so um, I was able to see a few different approaches, and not just those approaches in the cellar, but approaches to um, the profession and the sales side of it. Um, that, and I kind of saw that it didn't have to be everything that I. I um, had I had issue with it, it could be something that was a bit more um, 
you know, authentic, uh, word used earlier that I try not to overuse, but, um, it felt right. And I, I need, I needed those examples. Um, I saw the, I had the examples of really serious professional winemakers here in the Valley. Um, I, but I needed a little bit more of the casual example yet well executed. And I saw that and it helps me, my brain wrap itself around what this life would look like. And, um, and that I can dictate those terms. And right. so uh, it, it was um, impactful and yeah, part of the journey. Well, that's, that's, that's awesome. It's, I, I can only imagine, yeah. right? Yeah. The, the journey that you've been on. And at what point did you decide to dive into sparkling? I mean, growing up around Argyle, I mean, you, you were always yeah, yeah. around it and everything, but yeah. like, why did you decide to go ahead and take on sparkling? Um, the challenge, right? The execution and the result. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of producers around here that sparkling has become, um, it's coming up in the Valley clearly. And, um, but it's not easy to do well, <laughs> it's really hard to do <laughs> yes, well it is. and you've got to, um, details matter and you, I find that the level of precision is really transparent in the in the traditional method, um, and so I, you know, I had some insight to the methods that um, Ron instilled at Argyle, and and I had some insight into um, some some others, and and uh, for my time abroad, and so I we want the challenge, and I want the experience, um, and ultimately I was just not afraid to fail. But I also knew I was surrounded with enough greatness that I wouldn't let myself fail, and they wouldn't let me fail. And so um, we started in 2017 with our Blanc de Noir, and um, it was something that uh, you know I had to kind of break off the training wheels a little bit. Uh, I leaned on friends and a little and and. I had to come up with what my North Star was stylistically. Right. And so right. I would say that was probably more so of the more difficult aspect of trying to create a North Star for me and the wines that we want to produce with the traditional method that I thought were unique unto their own and, and, and had the standout ability. And so, um, yeah, I, you know, like anyone in any profession, you, at some point you reach a phase where you want to challenge yourself. And, and that's not to say that Chardonnay and, and Pinot are not challenging, but um, you want to stretch your brain a little bit and, right, right. and you want to test yourself. And I had the skill set, I thought, and I had the resource to do that. And so to this point, I think we've executed that. Yeah, no, very much so. I was, when I saw the email that, you know, you announced that it was out, I was like, oh, I have to, I, I, yes, I had to get all, all over that. I'm yeah. like, yes. Thank you. You're yeah. welcome. Um, yeah, no, it's been, it's been a fun process and, um, I feel like every year, you know, we're going, we just bottled our what, fifth vintage, uh, of sparkling and our fifth trage vint, um, bottling and, and, um, it finally, it, it feels very natural now. Um, and, and not only that, but I think the terroir of Oregon and, and the, um, the amount of diversity we have from a climactic standpoint also allows for a lot more further experimentation. And so not just in the cellar, but I feel like we have some of the sites, we have sites approaching 11, 1200 feet. Um, and, you know, I felt that we just had a combination of, of this valley and my curiosity um, coming together. And so uh, went down that rabbit hole. 
Yeah, no, it's it, it's an exciting rabbit hole. I interviewed uh, Andrew Rikers from Audeant uh, last month, and you know they have a, a site up on Parrot Mountain that's at eleven hundred yeah. feet, and they're wanting to you know do some sparkling out of there as yeah. well. Yeah, no, I mean, I people, I think we sometimes forget the aspects and angles and elevations and soil series that really haven't been experimented with when we're trying to display terroir through the lens of sparkling, right? I, I, I think for the past few decades, we've been so focused on Pinot and then more recently Chardonnay, thank goodness, um, displaying that they can have typicity of, of sight and and through both those rattles. And now it's, it's time to show that through sparkling. Um, and and I think that when done properly, sparkling can be as transparent of sight as, as those two. And so when you combine the ability to to represent sight through Pinot Chardonnay and sparkling all from one site, that's what gets me really excited. It's right, kind of right. the different expressions of terroir through the different methods and varietals in the same vintage under the same house. So. Um, what we're striving for and i think there's a really interesting opportunity for oregon to take that on i i agree and uh your um i want to call it your partnership with chosen wine and channing fry uh you're you know produce you're helping them with you know with sparkling on on that front as well mm -hmm. and you know that's exciting and he seems to be very happy and can't wait for it to actually, you know, come about. And I'm, I'm curious, when, when does that come out again? Or when is it going to be ready? We're doing a four-year um, lease aging period with theirs. Their first vintage was 19. So next year will be the first time we'll start to um, get my, or it was 2020 was our first year. Um, uh, 20, 2020 was our first vintage, I believe, of, of the sparkling. Um, and so, yeah. You know, we'll we'll circle back. But I I told Channing, and this is kind of the the dynamic between Channing and I is um his, his excitement. I have to remind him that you have to insert some patience into that <laughs> excitement. Um, and uh, you know, when we first started making sparkling, I didn't talk about it because I knew the patience required. And if I started talking about it, the moment I decided to make sparkling versus the moment that I decided to release it, <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to wear people out with the amount of time elapsed there. right right and so um yes uh we are doing a blanc to blanc for them uh we are doing minimal dosage so under a gram is the goal with our with the with the profile wine we're trying to make and with a little bit of an extended um aging process i've always find found that the real sweet spot at least in the Lion valley for wines aging um on lees was a minimum of 36 months and sometimes they needed up to know 40 to 48 months and and i always found that the 24 month period was like one drop point which the wines really evolves but i felt like there's always another level to reach um when these wines are aging on lee is when you reach the three year to four year mark and so i kind of told them if we're going to do this we're going to do it right and um we're going to exercise patience and i was i was i was staring at channing <laughs> <laughs> exercise patience um and l let this wine do its thing so um yeah yeah, uh, that's been a fun journey. Uh, I've been really thankful for their trust and, um, you know, uh, allowing me to execute my vision for this, for their, for our collaboration wines. And, and that's really what I was about when they came to me or we came together to discuss this. It was, um, you know, they had, they had really enjoyed the sparkling wine I was making and, and I said, I'm happy to do it if you want me to do it in my style. And uh, right. they said, absolutely. And so that's that's what I appreciate about Jacob and Channing uh, more specifically is empowering me to execute my vision for the collaboration and not trying to push me in any direction which they see fit. They're, they're really wanting me to express 
um, you know, the site, but also my vision through for this wine. So um, it's been it's been a privilege. No, that 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 is cool. So I I assume that relationship or collaboration came out of like the the one barrel challenge that happened in twenty twenty. Uh, no, before that. Um, oh, okay. We, I mean, I the really the one barrel challenge was a result of relationships built prior to that. Um, Jacob and Channing had visited me, and we just built a relationship and a rapport of, um, you know, they had. They were along their journey of trying to figure out what they were shaping and what they were making. They were um, asking me for some of my insight, which I was, um, and, and you know, I had the perspective of of just my own. And, and um, so there was really some, a lot of conversations that um, talked about the industry and where it was headed and um, what was what it had got right and what could it could do better. And so. And those conversations were already naturally occurring before the one barrel challenge. And then the opportunity for the one barrel challenge came up and just felt like the natural transition. But um, the relationships went back before that. Um, and just after the level of uh, curiosity um, and them appreciating, enjoying our wines. And um, so just, you know, a, a lot of conversations just occurring on that deck <laughs> <laughs> um, and shooting the breeze and discussing about what's what's next for them, what's next for the industry, um, what, what could be possible. And so, uh, you know, just throwing ideas on the wall and and the sparkling project um, was one of one of the main results of that, too. So. No, that's that's very cool. I appreciate that. I uh, I'm trying to work through getting an interview set up with Channing. Yeah. Uh, so is there like got some... a wild, he's got a wild schedule? Good luck. I, I know. I know. We're we're working on it. We're working <laughs> through it. Yeah. Um, but is there like do you have like an off the wall question for him that I could ask him and he'd be like, oh, oh no. Uh, <laughs> and if not, yeah, it's not a you big know, deal. I, I'd have to think on it. Um. Uh, I think I've asked them all of them, <laughs> um, and usually after a few drinks. Um, but I, I think for off the wall question, or maybe like a detail that you know only like a, a small group might know, and you know just like me telling you you know your numbers for you mm -hmm. know in in football. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's been asked. A gazillion questions. Yeah. I'm just trying to find something that's unique, unique and to its own. I'd have to, I'd, I'd have to spend on it for a minute. Um, you know, I think what was his reaction the first time he tasted a base wine? Oh, okay. Um, right. I remember distinctly some of his reactions the first time I showed him. I was like, "Okay, Channing, these wines are not finished. This is right. a base wine, um, which means you know we we had just fer finished fermentation. I want to say it was a November or December visit. He was coming out and want to taste through some stuff. So um, we taste through some base wines. Base wines had just been picked at you know very high acid levels um, and hadn't gone through any mallow. And so we're talking like a two nine five pH that are just ripping acid and um, and I think this was the first vintage we were doing. Uh, I was making them a bubble, so I was going to show him his base wine. And uh, I, I, um, <laughs> I, I kind of knew what I was in for. But um, uh, yeah, I poured him that base wine, and his reaction was uh, pretty epic. <laughs> so uh, maybe maybe ask him, you know, Channing, what, what was your, your reaction the first time you tasted the base wine? Maybe more specifically, the base right. wine Jackson was making for you. Okay. I, I appreciate okay. that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I read somewhere that you had a, a dunk tank out here at some point. 
Digging. <laughs> digging, digging. And I was just like, there's a dunk tank out here? I, no, I, I didn't uh, think Not a dunk tank. Um, no, just like the, the harvester tradition um, slash farming summer tradition as we get some picking bins and fill them up with water and oh. kind of have a... a um, uh, some some beers with the with the team, or and now it's really turned into a kid show. <laughs> um, but no, uh, no dunk tank as much as um, you know. We we have picking bins that sit around all year, and we only use them once a year right. uh, for picking and you know after harvest for washing and cleaning things. But uh, they they're great little pools. <laughs> that would be great. And yeah. uh, those long days after farming, um, and that are dusty and hot and dirty, and you want a beer, but a beer tastes even better when you're in the cold water. Right. <laughs> so um, uh, we do that, and then uh, we utilize the water afterwards for um, for for the lawn, and uh, it's it's a great way of just like kind of you know especially our small team it's just a great way of like finalizing the day especially those hot days where no one really wants to be here much past two or three o'clock it's just a good way to end the day and yeah. up here the sunsets are beautiful and um so yeah uh there, there's been a there's been a few few dips um no that's cool <laughs> that it's like um talking about legacy right you're Oof. you're deep into you know, a legacy that's, you know, that your dad has kind of paid mm -hmm. forward. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, you have, you know, you have two kids. Mm -hmm. Have you given any thought to kind of like what kind of legacy you want to leave them? Um, of course, um, legacy is a, is a big word, right? And I think sometimes it carries a connotation of, of notoriety or, um, or relevance, um, my, 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 I would say my wish for them and my wish of what I leave behind is options, right? Options and abilities. Um, you know, you can have vision, but I've learned that, um, you know, one generation's vision is often not the next generation's vision. And right. so what's the best thing you can leave the next generation is options and the abilities to execute their own vision. Um, right. uh, you know, I, I want them to be thoughtful, clever, um, creative and, um, humble. And, and I want them to have a canvas to express themselves. If that's in this industry, um, fantastic. Uh, so I think Ayla and I have, um, our desire is to leave them a canvas, which they can continue painting on, understanding that if they take on what mom and dad have done, that there's there's already some paint on that canvas and and uh, but room to make it their own. Um, of course. And uh, that's that's really, you know, we we talk about legacy, but I think sometimes the word is sustainability um, for one generation to do what they want to do and execute what they want to do and then leave room for the next to execute what they want to do. And I've been thankful that my father's given me the room to to he this was the canvas. This property was kind of the canvas. There wasn't there was vines on it. Um, this house didn't look like this. The winery wasn't there. There was no there was no one driving up the road to buy our wine. Um, I had to create that. Um, right. Right. And so whether they compound on that or they go a different direction, um, they'll have the options and the abilities to do that. And uh, that's that's really what I think of when when the word legacy comes up. I don't I don't think about uh, notoriety or 
or uh, what will be remembered for, I, I just think of what I'll pass along. And, and I think um, there's just nothing more powerful than passing along the reminder that they're capable and they have the option to execute that capability. Yeah, no, that's, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful answer. Thank you. You're welcome. You have a gazillion Oregon wine stories that, you know, that have happened to you, but is there something in particular where your generosity, your authenticity, your, just your spirit, you know, of helping somebody else out? Is there something that kind of stands out in, in memory to you? Of me helping someone or someone helping me? You helping somebody. Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, it's an uncomfortable question, AJ. Uh, <laughs> I like to um, put you in the hot seat. What yeah. can I say? Um, I don't know that I can share any one story just um, of, of uh, go against my ethos a little bit, but I'll say that um, I take a lot of pride in being an employer. Um, I take a lot of pride and, you know, we have, uh, four employees. It's not that many, but, um, I take a lot of pride in the fact that what Ayla and I have built is something that contributes to their family sustainability and livelihood. And, um, all of our employees are rock stars. All of them could be, get a job somewhere else in a heartbeat. They've chosen to be here and help us build this. I'm forever thankful, but I also like to think that we do our best as a small business to pour into them. And I think in the world of, of business and employment, uh, I think it's just really important that employers look at their employees as assets that are people and people who you're without your business is, is nothing. Right. And, um, I'll say that, um, I've got, I personally felt a lot of reward for, um, seeing some of our employees evolve and seeing some of them, um, take next steps while being with us. And that's not all because of us. That's because of they are who they are and they care and they had the ambition, but just giving them the avenues or the venue to expand on whatever that is their skill set capabilities, that's been really rewarding. Um, and that's just something when I started this journey, when Ayla and I started this journey, um, I didn't anticipate that level of satisfaction of watching people around me, uh, evolve, um, with their own skill sets. It's just something that I didn't anticipate when you think about making wine and growing, I, I the employment aspect really right. eluded my <laughs> forethought. Right. And right. So, um, yeah, no, that's, that's, that is great. It's, um, and, and sorry to put you in the hot seat like, no, like okay. that. It was, you know, it, it's, I was just, you're such a giving person and you think about so much. I was just, you know, I was just curious. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I think Kayla and I were chatting about that the other day. Um, just watching people around you evolve is special. Um, yeah. They are watching us evolve and our business evolve, but watching them evolve is equally rewarding. Um, and it's just cool to be a part of it. Yeah, I agree. Well, I have some rapid fire questions. I'll let you off the hook. Okay. Okay. Uh, favorite artist to listen to during harvest? Mm. Uh, Fat Freddy's drop. Okay. Uh, your favorite indulgent food, favorite indulgent food. We talked about fried chicken earlier. That's certainly up there. Other than that, um, indulgent, um, 
I love flan. Flan is fantastic. Okay. Well done, flan. Yes. All right. Uh, if you could choose a super superhero or a, a, a superpower, what would it be? Superpower. It'd be a toss-up between flying and invisibility. Uh, <laughs> there are times I wish I could be invisible, and there's times I wish I could fly. I think uh, I, I, I think I go with some type of flying ability. Okay. Um, harvest notes are they written or handwritten or digital? Um, harvest notes are handwritten and then digitized. So um, they just because of the heat of the moment, I'm not good enough to have my laptop. A with me and B charged, <laughs> right? <laughs> so right. they must be handwritten uh, in the harvest binder, and then uh, at the end of harvest, we go through and digitize it um, as just for for record's sake, right? Yeah. Um, your favorite superhero? Oh, you know, I wasn't a superhero guy. I was kind of like a cowboy guy, I like the the old western movies. Right. Um, uh, I, I wasn't like, I was a huge Scooby-Doo guy, but I was never like a Spider-Man or a Batman. I just never had a preference to that category. So I, I, there's my non-answer. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, then last question, last book you read, it could be also audible, uh, or, you know, if, or a podcast or something. Uh, last book I read was, um, I'm gonna have to check. It was an audible. It was a parenting book. Um, I'm, I'm going to look it up for you, AJ, right now. Okay. Right now. It is Father's Daughter, something, uh, uh, Strong Daughters by, um, Meg Meeker, um, was listening to that on Plane Ride, um, just talking about raising strong women. Um, I was, uh, a single child. I didn't watch any siblings, um, evolve or, or be raised. And so, um, being a parent, I, I, um, you know, oftentimes think about if there's how I'm approaching my parenting and, and, um, try and be thoughtful with that. So yeah, that's, that was my more recent one. Yeah. And I'll have to check that out. Yeah. I have a 14 year old daughter myself. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm still, I'm still digesting it and still thinking as to what, what aspects of it I, I subscribe to and which I maybe disagree with, but thought provoking nonetheless. Oh yeah. I mean, you, that's di all, yeah. Yeah. Different perspectives. Always. Right. Yeah. And yeah. just getting an idea. Totally. All right. Well, that's all the questions that I have. Cool. Awesome. Uh, I appreciate your time and this be. has been a blast. Yeah, bet. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for coming out here. Thank you for uh, your inquisitiveness, something is, um, you know, for this industry, it is, we, there's so much underneath the surface and there's, there's always this superficial level, which we think people want to consume. Right. And it, and for some, they want to go deeper, but they don't always know the questions to ask to, um, kind of crack the ice and go beneath and, and dive into some of the depths and the little nuances of this industry. So I commend you for this. I commend you for bringing the information to people in a format that is digestible and nuanced. So thank yeah. you. Yeah, no, you're welcome. It's, it's a joy to do. Awesome. Right. Thanks. Thanks.